Want to learn what sets LiveFlow apart from thousands of other QuickBooks Online apps? Do you want to learn how LiveFlow saves time for hundreds of accountants and bookkeepers? Want to learn how LiveFlow helps accountants and bookkeepers to use LiveFlow successfully in their firm? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, LiveFlow, later in the episode. Taylor Swift's economic impact. So, you know, AI is cool and everything, and it's going to have a multi-billion dollar impact someday, right? But you know who's having a multi-billion dollar impact right now? <laughs> Taylor Swift and for her, her... For her bank account? Yeah, her tour. So, Taylor Swift, single-handedly, well, she has a big team, right? But the Taylor Swift enterprise is going to generate $4.6 billion, and that's just for this one tour. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio. Welcome to the Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. And we're back with you for another week of accounting news and analysis. David, AI developments, you're talking about the money in AI. Yeah, there's lots of money in AI now. The math is crazy. What companies that are in the AI space are going to make off of AI. They got to support those multi-billion dollar valuations that they've somehow amassed after just a few months. We'll see what Microsoft has in plan, how they're going to charge you more money to use their AI. I am going to talk today about cryptocurrency. Crypto is back in the news with the Ripple decision in federal court. The SEC sued Ripple back in 2020 or 2021, and it's been working its way through the courts. There was a decision, and now we have clarity. But uh, <laughs> I'm glad you're covering this because I was I saw that I was like I'm not I don't know isn't this two answers at once I don't know so I'm glad you're going to bring clarity to this yes um, and so yeah I'm looking forward to doing this with you right now and then I'm going to head up to Flagstaff to get out of the heat for uh, a few days uh, Flagstaff's a good good trip in the summer for yeah sure we're going to go see the meteor crater that big meteor crater out in the desert have you ever been there yes it's huge yeah <laughs> it's it's massive. <laughs> It's, it's like, a big, basically, it's a big hole. You're going to go look at a humongous hole, but in it's the ground. Worth going to. Well, apparently, the meteor that hit there, like, I want to say it was 50,000 years ago, had the force of 150 atomic bombs. And I'm very excited to see it because I'm going to go see Oppenheimer soon. I got the IMAX. I think that's on the list tonight. I think I'm going to try. Oh, you're going to see it. Well, I, I got tickets to go see it with my brother when he's in town, and it's uh, the 70 millimeter IMAX version, the Christopher Nolan approved vision. A vision vision right? version, yeah. So I want to see a hole that was made in the ground by a giant, uh, effectively, you know, interstellar atomic weapon <laughs> that hit us. Well, and what's great about the, the, this hole in the desert is there's not a lot of vegetation, so you can really see the whole hole. Versus there's other places in other parts of the world where uh, meteors or asteroids have hit, and it either becomes a lake or it, uh, there's a lot of forest around it, and you can't really grasp the vastness of the hole. And so you get to see, you'll, you'll like it. You'll see like all little right. buildings down there and little cars and all that type of stuff. Well, what do you want to start with, David? Do you want to start with Ripple or do you want to start with... Do you want to jump right into money something? in AI? Start with do the, the money thing. in AI. Let's start with that. Okay, okay, you Let's go first. Do, money. do it. All right. So Microsoft, and we've been talking about this, like Microsoft's going to roll out Copilot, their plan. We've talked about how they're, they've been beta testing it, right? Early, they have an early access program with six, 600 enterprise clients. And I think we talked about KPMG, Lumen, uh, Emirates. And these are the ones that are listed in this article, but I think we were talked about other ones that were included in the previous ones. So basically, you had 600 enterprises testing this in their, their enterprise. Mm -hmm. Well, Microsoft announced they are going to charge, what they're going to charge for Copilot that's built into like the office suite, whatever it's called now, Microsoft 365. They're going to charge $30 per user per month. That seems like a lot. Do you know what so, they charge now per user? For well, this is, the, well, the, this is an, an additional fee. Right, right. So you get like, AI for your employees inside of Microsoft Office. Now, what when they announced this this day, so this was uh, three days ago, Microsoft stock, it forced Microsoft stock price to become an all-time high. If they so, can, so, yeah, if they can actually get companies to pay for this. Well, considering they're testing it, they wouldn't roll out this price unless they probably have some data now showing the productivity gains at enterprises are yeah. so great that this is a no-brainer. I can spend $360 to increase an employee 20% maybe, 10%. I mean, I mean how much, what's $300 a year to, in productivity? Right. No, I, I, I totally see that. But like from what we've seen so far, like with the Windows Copilot 
chatbot that came out, like it's not that impressive. So they must have big plans and they must expect huge productivity gains. I mean, I guess, okay, let's compare this to ChatGPT Plus, which is $20 per user per month. And it seems like that's going to be the baseline kind of price for this sort of thing. And it makes sense, right? Because a GPT is incredibly expensive to operate. I was listening to the All In podcast earlier this year, and the guys on that show were estimating that it's 10 times more expensive to process a GPT query than a Google search. And a Google search is like a few pennies a search. And yeah. so Google can make money all day long because you search a few pennies and they display the ads and they charge way more for the ads than, you know, for the clicks that they get than, than the search. But if like a search on chat GPT or Claude AI is 30 cents, like what's their revenue model? And yep. that's one of the reasons people think that ChatGPT has gotten dumber recently is that OpenAI is trying to cut their costs and so they're 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 using less expensive <laughs> LLMs. That, 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 that's interesting that, yeah. that use less electricity, less power, less powerful. It's it's a massive amount of processing power that these models use. So okay, 30 bucks per user per month is what we're going to be planning on. Yeah. And yeah. so and I, and I get it because and this goes off from every time we go to Sage Intact or we go to um, Oracle's NetSuite conference. And NetSuite rolls out some feature. They add some, some feature, and they're going to charge $45,000 extra a year for that feature. But what's going through everybody's brains that they're like, oh, that's a whole body. I don't have to hire. And they're like, I'll pay you $45,000. And I think that's what this is going to be like. The, the, the people are going to weigh this against hiring bodies. Yeah. And it's the productivity boom is going to be there. Well, so, I'll tell you, Chat GPT Plus is totally worth it for me to pay for, like twenty bucks a month, no brainer for what I do. But they're well, going to have to convince all these businesses bef- to do it. I said that before. If I could get some sort of Chat GPT assistant thing that stored my preferences and my data and kind of grew with my set of data, two hundred bucks a month easily. Yeah, because that's way cheaper than an intern, right? And so there's no doubt there's money in this, and then. I know we've talked about in the past how KPMG, all the big four, are spending billions of dollars and making all this investments into AI. Mm-hmm. So there was an article, um, this was in Bloomberg Tax, talking about how they've started to roll out generative AI to their tax pros, and they launched this other thing called Audit Pilot. And you know, KPMG announced a few months ago that they were going to do $2 billion committed into AI internally. Yeah. Well, this article talks about, it's guessing maybe in five years that its firm's projects could return as much as $12 billion in revenue. $12 so billion. So this is going to roll into their consulting yeah. arm, right? Yeah. They're going to... I mean, it seems like a lot of money. It seems insane. But just based on my own personal experience, it cuts the time for many of my tasks by half. And right. if you take that productivity gain and apply it to many, many jobs in the economy, it's billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, Because I'm going to be an enterprise and I'm going to be like, oh yeah, I pay, I'm paying Microsoft for you know, millions of dollars for this, their co-pilot. Yeah. But I don't think I'm maximizing its use. And then KPMG is going to come in and get a consulting gig with yeah. their AI expertise. Yeah. That's the game. That's uh, where this is all headed. I see. I see. You think you, so. you think like a consultant, David. You should work for McKinsey or something. <laughs> <laughs> I just see how, the, see how the math works on this stuff. But yeah, so that's a lot. Like the fact that Microsoft, Microsoft, all-time high stock price. Yeah was hit as a result of this because, and the investors are doing the math and I'm like, wow, that's a lot of extra just just revenue. Now, I hope that firms will be able to apply this or add this per user because not every user who has Microsoft 365 in your organization is going to need the co-pilot assistant, at least at first. And I would really hate to have to upgrade my entire organization and pay $30 per user per month for something they're not all going to use. So give me an example of an employee that's on the office stack that yeah. doesn't need AI functionality. Well, I guess it just depends on what the AI can actually do when they roll it out. Yeah. So for instance, uh, the reason I'm thinking about this is because we use Notion at Earmark and Notion rolled out built-in AI and they wanted to charge after the beta, they wanted to charge $10 per user it applied to all users in the organization. I couldn't just upgrade myself, you. Yeah. I would have to upgrade everybody. And we have a lot of users in there that are just there to like look at one database. 
I couldn't think of like what they would need the AI for, and it would effectively double our price. So I said, no, sorry, I'm not going to do it. If all it does for Microsoft is do the whole, like, here's all the docs on my network that are related to the thing I'm working on. Yeah. Like, even that's worth it for each employee. Could be. Bucks a year. Yeah. But I, well, we'll see. But the, the point is, is there's a lot of revenue coming in for the companies that are owning this technology or having expertise yeah. in this technology. Well, speaking of lots of money, let's talk about crypto. Crypto's back on the rise after the bubble popped. We may have a bubble 2.0 thanks to the latest decision by a federal judge in the SEC versus Ripple case. And I saw a lot of like like crypto people dancing in videos like yep. on TikTok. They're pretty pumped about this decision. The crypto bros are pumped because the judge said that they can continue to sell Ripple and by extension other crypto tokens on exchanges without being regulated by the SEC. It can stay unregulated. And the decision really has people scratching their heads because it's it's half in favor of the SEC and half in favor of Ripple and crypto exchanges. So it kind of splits the baby in a really strange way. And I actually used AI to help me understand the case. I dropped the PDF of the judge's decision into Claude AI and I said, help me analyze this. Please provide me an executive summary in plain English and tell me what this judge is saying. Because and if we been, rewind a little bit, is the basis of the argument, it's a security, not a security? Is that the... That's what the SEC sued Ripple for. They said <laughs> Ripple is selling an unregistered security, and a security is like a stock, right? Stocks are securities, and securities are regulated by the SEC, and Ripple was selling unregulated securities, which is a big no-no. So, so Ripple had two ways it was selling its token. It created its own token called XRP, and this token powers international payments. So Ripple's not just a token. It's not one of these companies that just spins up a token and starts selling it. It actually has a business behind this token. So XRP is what you, you, you pay money to buy XRP here in the US, and then Ripple behind the scenes exchanges XRP with an entity in another country. And it was like exchange, a payments rail. Yeah, it's a payments rail. It, it bypasses wire transfers and yeah, other international, sense. traditional international payments. So that's really cool, actually, right? I um, think. Do you remember Veeam? That was really big. Yeah, they kind of they're still around, but that was their initial product offering to some extent. That was their whole mo- business model and their whole product. And I believe they're using payments. They're using Bitcoin to do it, not their own. Yeah, token. yeah, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, yeah. yeah Bitcoin. So, so Ripple sold XRP, this token, to both in, in, institutional investors like big institutions, like, I don't know, what would be a big one, like banks, right? BlackRock, Fidelity. Yeah. And they also sold it to individuals on crypto exchanges. And the judge came back and said, when Ripple sells XRP to a big institution, a large institutional investor, that is a security because those institutions are buying XRP in anticipation that Ripple will succeed in their mission, right? That's like buying a stock. Right, and they're yep. they're giving money to Ripple and taking this token. But when Ripple sells XRP on an exchange, because the people buying XRP don't know who is selling it to them, it's anonymous. It's not a security. So, the implications of this are huge because it means that institutional investors are protected by the SEC and are regulated. The sales to them are regulated, but if you sell a token to individuals, retail investors, it's not protected. It's not a security. So it depends whether it's direct or indirect. So the bank could buy the security. I mean, the bank could buy, yeah, the bank could buy XRP and then turn around and sell it to you, David, and you're not protected as if they had sold you a stock. So imagine if, if stocks work that way, right? If like Netflix stock worked that way, where if you bought it on an exchange as an individual, it wasn't considered a security and you didn't get any of the protections. It's very strange. So isn't this it? is why everybody's so excited because I think this is what a lot of these tokens do. They just spin up their own marketplace and kind of sell them through an exchange. Yeah, or you just go on Binance, right? And you sell it on Binance or you oh, sell it on on whatever all the different exchanges there are. Yeah. So they can keep doing business, basically. They just can't sell directly to institutions. Which I suppose is a good thing because you know, the the thing that is really worrying is like what if people's pensions start getting invested in these crypto tokens that are inherently worthless. Yeah. Right. 
And that's the big criticism about crypto. And this is something you and I have talked about. We did a, an episode called Crypto is a Scam. You know, crypto is not like a stock in that it's not tied. Most crypto tokens aren't tied to like future cash flows, right? Like when you buy Netflix, you're betting on them to make money in the future. And that money is going to come back to you in the form of dividends someday. Yes, yes. There's actually money because of a business function, not yeah. money in the future because it got hyped up. Right. Crypto yeah. only gains in value because other people buy it. That's the yeah. definition of a speculative a investment. Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Or a Ponzi yeah. scheme. Right. So like, at least there's that. We don't have to worry about people's pension funds, retirement funds from Prudential or whatever getting invested in worthless crypto tokens. But it still means that the game can go on. And so we saw XRP pop 70% the bubbles kind of come back and the people investing in it are by and large young men under the age of 40 and they're taking their paychecks and they're putting it into crypto. And the last time, the last go around, which just happened, the average investor, the average retail investor lost money and it's going to happen again because these intangible assets that have no underlying economic value are going to get pumped up and the whole thing's going to crash again. This is, you know, like history repeating itself very quickly. And your average investor is going to lose money. I mean, this is exactly what happened in the 1920s, right? Before we had the SEC regulating stocks, any company could go list on the stock exchanges and you could pump up the value by saying whatever you wanted to say. And there was no audits, right? There, like, it's exactly like these crypto exchanges. Crypto exchanges are even more Wild West, really. So what does this mean? Like, is it just like, here, we're going to see another, it's going to do a run up, crypto's great, then it's going to drop again? Like, is this just its dance now? Well, are people I, making money or people who can time it, I guess? Yeah, exactly. So basically, there's going to be another bubble. That's my, my guess. As these values are going to go up again because people are going to be able to pump it. There's no regulatory oversight. And so, hey, yeah, I guess if you're listening and you think you can time it, you could make a lot of money potentially. And your average investor is going to end up losing money because that's the way bubbles work when there's no real underlying value. Speculative bubbles work. So so go ahead, I guess, if you want to participate. I I don't think it's ethical, though, if you think about it, to, to participate in this, because whose money are you taking in the end? I suppose it's sort of like taking people's money when they play poker. But, you know, it's just I, I feel really sad about it, because think about it. This is the future retirement, future you know, savings of, like, young people in this country, mostly young men. And... We talk all the time about, or there's all this chatter about how, you know, people aren't starting families. They're not settling down and like having kids and, and, you know, producing future taxpayers and all that stuff. Like, well, what, what do you think is going to happen if people don't have savings? They're never going to buy a house. You know, they're never going to do that. It's like, yeah. actually the, the really dangerous thing is you're going to end up with an entire generation that has no investments because they lost them in meaningless investments like crypto. And, that's the most dangerous thing in politics is when you have people who don't have people who are voters who don't have any stake in the game. Yeah. Right. We want people to have investments in the markets because then they support the markets and they support re reasonable regulation. And That's why we want home ownership. We want a lot of like, yes. these, all these things. They, they seem like 30 year traps, but you're kind of invested in, we, in, the, in the, exactly. the success of the entire country. If you jump into these traps, we want, yes. we want, as many voters as possible to be invested in the success of the American dream and the American experiment. And if they aren't, that's when you get really dangerous situations politically where, you know, politicians pop up who get support that want to take it all and redistribute it. And people who don't have anything will vote for that. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. Think about this. If you have approximately 60 clients and create five reports a month for each of them, that's over 3,500 reports a year. And let's say you're really fast and it only takes you one minute per report. That's almost 2.5 days a year you spend creating reports. Here are a few of the ways LiveFlow saves time for so many accountants and bookkeepers. Once you create the perfect suite of reports for a client, you can just copy the Google Sheet, use LiveFlow to connect it to a different client's QuickBooks Online company, and you're all done. The new reports will pull in the data for the second client automatically. 
You can easily drill down on the details of each number on a live flow report, including drilling down to the transaction level to navigate directly to the transaction inside of QuickBooks Online. No more opening QuickBooks Online to search for specific transactions. LIFO and Google Sheets are in the cloud, so you don't have to waste time emailing files between your team and your clients. And you can give your clients access to a suite of reports that they can access anytime, eliminating one-off requests for you and your staff. To learn more about using LiveFlow and how you can save 20% off your first three months, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash LiveFlow. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. Stop manually updating your spreadsheets with LiveFlow. We could transition from that into uh, Fed now finally launched officially yesterday. The alternative to the 50-year-old ACH payment ACH. network. But Fed now it's it's hot. You know, they went on the press junkets and all the mainstream media. The all the tinfoil conspiracy hats came out. The the bitcoiners think this is a, a way to replace the, like oh this is going this is a coin, it's an offering. It's a lot of like a lot of stuff going on. But Essentially, it really is a, a fundamentally, to some extent, a instant payments platform to replace ACH. That's the easiest way to kind of think about it. That's what it is today. Um, but I have some stats on it, which is kind of interesting. But um, so, so it launched, but I didn't see a lot of like fanfare around this. Like, are people using it? So even like, so we have a sponsor on the show, uh, Forwardly.ai. They're using it. I think there's another payments app called A Win. I'm not. That's out there. They're building on it. I'm surprised Bill.com and Melios and Veeams and all the other payment players are not, why they're not launching on this from day one is kind of confusing to me. Hmm. Some of it is could be because they're already in bed with some of the bigger banks. So remember if we're going to rewind. So ACH is kind of what everybody gets to use ACH, right? It's an open thing. We think about Zelle, how only some banks work with Zelle. And they cut out the credit unions and the regional banks. Like a lot of people couldn't play in that. And the, they also, what the big banks did is they created something called the RTP network, real-time payments network, to move money between each other in their own accounts. But in general, they cut everybody else out. And that's what put the treasury on this march to build FedNow. Mm-hmm. And, but there's a, in this article, this is uh, this was in Forbes. So this article in Forbes, they had some stats about the RTP. So the RTP in the first quarter transferred $26 billion over the RTP network. Pretty impressive, huh? But in that same quarter, $19.7 trillion was sent over ACH. Wow. $19 trillion. So it's 0.13% is being used with real-time payments right now. And then not only that, another $227 billion was sent on the Federal's FedWire service for one-time wire transfers. So, like, nobody's using this RTP network. Why? Because not enough people can be on both sides of that equation. So, FedNow should help move these along. And then the prices for FedNow are way cheaper, right? So, we're going to see maybe it's only going to be uh, four and a half cents to do a transfer. Right? Cool. So, this is here. It's being launched. It's being rolled out. Um, it's still small. Um, not all the smart banks are on it, but there's services that are rolling out. Like, for example, a bunch of credit unions might y'all use some software to run their credit union, and that software is going to roll out FedNow, and then all those credit unions would then get FedNow type mm-hmm. of thing. So we're going to see it roll out more, but um, it is not a coin. It's not – there's a lot of tinfoil hats that are out there. If you should start going down the paths on Twitter, it's crazy. So, so uh, you but, think – do you think this is going to be a success? It's just going to be slow? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, it's probably a decade. Like, they, okay. If you think about like – how many trillions are still in ACH and yeah. how much back end you need to to change and modify to get there. Um, and then and, and admittedly, like, so uh, Forwardly is a, is a sponsor and they're like, oh, you want to, can we pay you through this? And I was like, I don't have time to say anything. New, new payment processes up. Like, like you <laughs> oh, know, so you and that's the, the other thing too, right? Like, like it's hard to like, eventually we'll set something up, but yeah. it's like people, people have to do things well, on their own schedule. You just can't, like, one day everybody switch on the 20th of July. So FedNow is less expensive than ACH. Yes. So how much less expensive? And what does ACH cost? Well, I know it costs, I mean, it can cost a business, you know, 50 cents to send an ACH, but I don't know what the processors are paying. So you're saying FedNow is like four cents a payment. Yeah, four and a half cents a payment. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm curious to know, because if it's not like substantially cheaper, then people aren't going to switch. But if it's like 10 times cheaper, then I imagine people will eventually switch or the, yeah. the processors will anyway. I'd be and curious. And this is going to gonna, like, and I think as word gets out, the cost of this, yeah. you know, Venmo charges people 1.75% to move data, make money instantly to your bank account. Uh-huh. Right. I think some of these services that are charging for these instant payments are going to have to come down in price. Like the whole market's going to have to come uh-huh. down because of this, which is good for consumers and small businesses. Yeah. So in other news, I saw something that I really, really like. Two senators are proposing a ban on U.S. lawmakers owning stock. This would have been really helpful when the pandemic happened and we saw a bunch of lawmakers buy pharmaceutical stocks in advance of the pandemic. They, they, they had non-public information about COVID, and then they went out and made a bunch of investments before anyone else could, and they profited handsomely. And there is nothing uh, illegal about lawmakers owning stock. There's a rule that says they are not supposed to profit on non-public information, but it's very, very difficult to prove that anyone bought specific stocks because they had specific information. So in effect, they can do whatever they want. And Senators Kristen Gillibrand and Josh Hawley, uh, very prominent in the news, right? You hear about these two all the time, and you wouldn't think of them as collaborating on anything. They have gotten together to, to propose this legislation. And what's interesting is that it is incredibly popular, according to the Wall Street Journal, Something like 80% of voters support a ban on stock ownership by members of Congress, the president, vice president, Supreme Court justices, and their families. That was according to a poll released Wednesday by the University of Maryland's Program for Public Consultation. Yeah, they probably shouldn't be buying it while they're in office. <laughs> I don't think they sh- I think they should, like like most presidents do, they should put it, uh, they, they should sell their stocks. Well, right now you can put it into like a quote unquote blind trust, but- you can have like a family member oversee the blind trust. And then yeah. I, I think this is what, uh, was it Nancy Pelosi gets criticized Something. for this? Like yeah. she, somehow she's become a multimillionaire through, you know, stock investments that her husband makes. Hmm. I wonder how that happens. Right. So the idea is you would have to sell your stock and you would just invest in like broad based mutual funds. So you can bet on the American economy, which is good, but you can't bet on individual stocks. So yeah, I think this is awesome. I hope this goes somewhere because like the, if you want to drain the swamp, you know, like this is the way to do it. Start with the lawmakers first. Start with the lawmakers. Of course, it's not popular in Congress, so we'll see if it goes anywhere. And I don't think these two, Kristen Gillibrand and Josh Hawley are very popular uh, in Congress either, but I I don't know. Hey, Blake, we should check in with the the live stream folks that are popping in. Hey, Tim in the live chat says, crazy that CPAs have all this independence BS and Congress has none of that. Yeah, it is a little crazy, isn't it? Thank you, Edgar, Romeo, HK for joining us. Great to see you here. Thanks for chatting with us. Let us know what you think about the stories we're discussing or anything else. Romeo says, going back to the uh, AI story, Copilot being a Microsoft Windows product potentially opens this up to anything that runs a Windows operating system. So lots of handhelds can potentially have it. That's true. Oh, and actually on that front, I saw a story about how Apple is working on Apple GPT. So this makes me happy. So Siri will become useful? Siri will actually become useful, yes. We won't be using it just to set timers and make reminders or send text messages anymore. The story was in the journal. Apple Inc. is quietly working on artificial intelligence tools that could challenge those of OpenAI Inc.'s, Alphabet Inc.'s, uh, Google, and others. But the company has yet to devise a clear strategy for releasing the technology to consumers. So, yeah, I don't think there's much here other than they're working on it. They're building their own LLM. But, you know, Apple is generally not, I don't think they're ever the first mover in any product category. That's what's really interesting about Apple. People think of Apple as this super innovative company, but they don't move first. They watch everybody else do stuff. And the smartphone's a great example, right? They didn't invent the smartphone. There were many, many for years. And then when the time is right, they come in with the perfect smartphone and they, they reinvent the category. Like all the smartphones before the iPhone had keyboards. And Apple said, 
no, let's just make the whole thing a screen. And everybody thought yeah. that was a terrible idea. How could you have a smartphone without a keyboard? And look where we're at. So they, if anybody's going to make Siri smart or make a, make a voice assistant that actually is like useful, I would bet on, on Apple to do it from the consumer side of things. Yeah, and I could see where they could tie this into their privacy, their privacy marketing that they're doing a lot right now with their healthcare and like tie that in like, hey, this will be a really a, ch- a private chat GPT for you or whatever they're going to call it, Apple GPT. Yep. Yeah, and the privacy is important, right? Like that's one of the biggest selling points for me about using an Apple device is it's, you know, very difficult to hack. Somebody's got to want to, if somebody wants to hack you, they got to ha- they got to be like a state actor. So yeah, if you're going to be sharing like all the details of your life with a GPT, and it's going to have to have access to everything to actually be effective. It'll have to be able to peer into your emails, your messages. I mean, it will know everything about you. So it better be freaking secure. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Zoho. Zoho offers a unified and powerful suite of cloud software that can run your client's entire business as well as your firm. From accounting and bookkeeping to sales and marketing to HR and operations, Zoho has it all, including a CRM, expense tracking, bookkeeping, full office suite, a support ticket system, workflow automation, inventory, invoicing, subscription management, and a checkout app. And as your clients grow, they can integrate with over 50 plus apps that can run every aspect of their business, all from one login and one subscription called Zoho One. Zoho also has a partner program for accountants, bookkeepers, and consultants. As a Zoho advisor, you can list your firm on Zoho's partner directory leading to discovery by Zoho's over 85 million customers. Zoho advisors also get a dedicated partner account manager, early access to product releases, in-depth product training, certifications, and more. If you want to learn more about becoming a Zoho advisor, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Zoho. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash Z-O-H-O. More tech news, David. Software spending rose 25% in 12 months, led by finance departments. This was in accounting today, and they are citing a report from Cladara. Cladara did research that analyzed over 1,000 companies and 40,000 software-as-a-service transactions and found that finance departments saw a 105% increase in software spending year over year. That's doubling. That's insane. Customer support departments followed with a 79% increase. So what you're saying, David, I I think we're still on that, that this has been true for like 30 years, right? That the tech gains you get from software offset bodies and it has not stopped. This is how we're going to solve the talent crisis in accounting is with software. I mean, the best place to be right now is I would say a VC specializing in investing in software that will automate accounting and finance, especially at big companies, because they're not going to be able to find the people to do the work. It's just, it's not, and they're going to grow. They're growing fast, right? We're not producing yep. enough grads. It's, and and the, the leaders of our profession are not helping. They're making it worse. So this is, this is the future. Software is eating the accounting and finance world. Do you want to transition then into another article about the 150-hour rule? Oh, yeah, let's do it. So this is a, a new article is in Fortune magazine. I'm going to mess up this name. So it's French. So it's, I'm going to guess Guilaine St. Justy. Um, she's the president and CEO of the National Association of Black Accountants. And her argument that the credit rule is outdated and inequitable, which is, I think, your point of view a little bit too. Yeah. And what stood out in this article, I mean, it's, you know, she covers the history of the 150 hour rule. We don't need to cover any of that here. We've beat that to death. But so less than 2% of CPA accountants identify as black. And, but other industries, she said, like, for example, um, in the tech, we just talked about tech, right? Mm -hmm. Black professionals account for 7% and it keeps growing in recent years. So black professionals are fleeing to tech, obviously, to make money, et cetera. So Um, so 2% 2 in accounting. 2% in accounting. 7% in tech. In tech. And then she talks about how we're always, you know, comparing accountants to doctors and lawyers. And she said, well, even there... For lawyers, it's five point five percent, and uh, doctors, it's four percent. Black representation. Wow! So they're they're twice as good at, at at diversity. And did you know this? And this is something that really blew my mind. Do you know that in California, Vermont, and Virginia, and Washington, you can take the bar exam without actually going to law school? Really? 
What states? If you've completed a legal apprenticeship and have passed the statewide exam. What states is that? Uh, California, Vermont, Virginia, and Washington. Wow. You don't have to go to law school. Just experience if you can pass the exam. I, I think that that would be the ideal situation. Let people go to school for accounting if they feel that they need it to gain the skills. But if you can pass the rigorous CPA exam with work experience that you've and, and knowledge that you've gained on the job, why not? Why force people to go to these expensive universities? And she talks about a lot of yeah. that. We talk about you know, the cost to go to school, family, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, and it makes sense, right? You want, you want a more diverse, inclusive profession. Take down the financial barriers that keep out people who don't have a lot of money. And giving them scholarships, to me, is just insulting, right? Like, that's the, the response. It's like, oh, we're going to make it more affordable by giving out more scholarships. Okay, so now uh, they have to come begging to you to do it. No, just take away the cost. Just make it cheaper in the first place, Yeah, you know? So it's just, yeah, it's still there. But you know, I've I've been talking about hey, like if we the pipeline, let's encourage people. And I say it in jest, like oh, we should have accountants taking pictures with sweet cars, like crazy good looking cars. Well, look who's like I stumbled across. Um, this is I can't read it. Uh, what's their website name? It's so PMA Par Mellis and Associates. Associates, and they are a niche accounting firm specializing for automotive repair shops. But look, it's two accountants standing in front of, it's at a Ferrari and a Porsche. Oh, that's like, awesome. It, like it's it's that's finally so happening. Oh, I love it's that It's finally so happening. Oh. So we have an accounting firm where the partners is, are standing next to sweet, awesome automobiles. This is great marketing. Okay, so for our podcast listeners, we are looking at an accounting firm website. And you know what it looks like? The colors and the branding, it's got like red and blue and black and white. It looks like a car brand. And it's got this like italicized capital letters. It looks like a car brand. Or an auto parts store. Or an auto parts store. And their headline right there is expert accounting and tax services specializing in automotive repair shops. And it's two guys standing in their regular street clothes next to their awesome cars in the parking lot. I'm assuming those are their cars. For the sake of recruiting younger talent in the industry, we should say that's their cars. (laughs) It's genius. Romeo says... Maybe if this industry was more lucrative, we would have way better representation. Yeah, I mean, part of the problem is that the salaries when you start out are, are low compared to other professions. And, and you don't get the, the big bump in pay for quite a while. So people quit and they go where they can make more money faster. And that's the problem with like the traditional partner model, the traditional accounting firm model. All the rewards are 10, 15 years in the future. We also have to fix that. And I think that the non-partner model firms, the corporate model firms that are popping up, are going to lead the way. And we're seeing the bigger firms start to do that. BDO is now becoming a corporation. My hope would be that they start offering stock options to their young people to get them in the door, give them a stake, give them equity earlier on, just like tech companies do. And that way you can you can spread out the wealth more for those younger people who can demand higher wages and demand a piece of the action. They get points, right? Even if it's a small amount, it makes a big difference in their investment in the firm. So don't go big four. That's what HK says. It is lucrative. Just don't go big four. Go on your own. And if you own an accounting firm, if you start your own accounting firm, I think it's probably one of the fastest ways to wealth in this country. I mean, you can be a millionaire owning an accounting firm very quickly. I mean, heck, I didn't even know what I was doing when I started my firm. And You're just with, a cellist. Within five years, we were going to hit, when I sold the firm, we were on our way to a million dollars a year in revenue that year, in five years. I was just a musician. <laughs> There's a lot of demand for these services. If you are able to learn on the job, teach yourself cool stuff, technology, and and you know if you have a personality and you want to talk to clients and like, you don't even have to be that good at sales. I, I don't know that much about sales. I just like to talk to people and I could get clients. So, um. Where do we go from here? Oh, I got some fun stories. Can we just do some fun stories? Ta- I have some, yeah, let's do some fun stories and we'll do app news at the end, I guess. Uh, Taylor Swift's economic impact. So, you know, AI is cool and everything and it's going to have a multi-billion dollar impact someday, right? But you know who's having a multi-billion dollar impact right now? <laughs> Taylor Swift and for her, her... For her bank account? Yeah, her tour. So her, her Swift era, her era's tour, 
Taylor Swift's Eras Tour is the one she's doing right now, right? That everybody's talking about. Hundreds of thousands of fans are going to see her. They are staying in hotels. They're eating at restaurants. In Philadelphia, May saw the strongest month for hotel revenue since the pandemic began, largely due to the influx of guests for her concerts. Hotel prices more than tripled in anticipation of the tour in some cities. And the hotel occupancy rate in Allegheny County approached 100% during the Swift tour. And here's the number you want to pay attention to. The tour alone is expected to generate $4.6 billion in total consumer spending in the U.S. Wow. Taylor Swift, single-handedly, well, she has a big team, right? But the Taylor Swift Enterprise is going to generate $4.6 billion. And that's just for this one tour. And, and, and this, again, goes to like that perceived value or, you know, having multiple things to sell or buy because they sell the hoodies and the shirts and obviously it's the food and the beverages and all that. And then it's like my daughter attended and I've seen all the, you know, you know enough people now where you see other people's videos posting, you know, on the Instagrams and all that. And I was talking to my daughter about this yesterday. I'm like, you're paying to not hear her sing. Like it's so loud and everybody, all these the girls oh. are singing so loud. You can't actually hear her sing. And my daughter's like, but that's part of the experience, dad. Like everybody crying and screaming. Like that's part of the deal. You, you, so you're not even paying to hear her sing. You're just, you're is, paying, you're paying to be there. It's the experience be of being, experience. being with the other fans. I'm sure it's incredible. It's gotta be. Yeah. Lori in the live chat says on my way to the NOL IRS tax conference, I sat next to a young man who was up in Kansas city for her tour. Tour. Yeah. And um, she's a business machine. Who is it that's a big Swifty in the federal government? Is it Merrick Garland? I don't know. Is that, yeah. Is this, is this, yeah. It was actually, yeah. Attorney General Merrick Garland is a huge Taylor Swift fan. And so if you want to read some fun articles about that, just search Merrick Garland Swifty. Like he's got collectibles and he, regularly drops wow. her lyrics into his legal arguments and discussions. So people started noticing this was happening, right? Because it's an inside joke. So maybe maybe AICPA could engage her to help grow the profession. They should be sponsoring her tour, Taylor Swift's Eras Tour, presented by the AICPA. Uh, <laughs> hey, you get a lot of... Rich. I kind of have a fun article. I don't know if it's fun. It's just like it's silly. So, But that's perfect. This is an article from Client. It's in something called Client Earth. So if you go to clientearth.com. Okay. It's like, a, you know, like it, 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 in a way, it's like a bad accounting firm website. You know, like when you go to the accounting firm websites and they do everything? Uh-huh. Like this is like everything with the planet. Like, Am I on the right site here? A, first, first, yeah, it's kind of a stupid animation. It takes okay. forever to look right, Hold on. I got to describe it. So it says Planet Earth. It's all of us. Oh, I lost the subhead. Okay. Right. Um, now we got the page loading. Let's protect donation. all life on Earth. We use the power of the law to protect all life on Earth, combining thousands of individual voices into one powerful force for change. Well, that sounds nice, so, David. What's so wrong with this? If you scroll this? down, you can see like all the stuff they're trying to do. Yeah, there's like a, you know, lots of services they're trying to do, but they are going after the big six accounting firms, and so they really keep tying it back to. So apparently they went after them. The firms invited them to go to some global public policy committee meeting, and then they just kind of ignored them since. And so lawyers for Client Earth are thre- are basically telling how they're not fulfilling their audit standards when they do not actually consider climate risk, threatening the integrity of the market, leaving them to open the legal challenge. And this goes on and on and on and on. And what it really feels like is they're just ignoring them. And they're getting upset, so they're just but threatening them more. I, like, I thought it's, it's I thought the big four were all about ESG. Well, I think they're all about like on their consulting part, probably consulting companies yeah. about ESG. But it's not part of the audits, right? Like, is there, is there standards? You're not. You don't have to audit and report this stuff, right? Well, there, there's 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 proposed standards on ESG reporting that would then be incredibly lucrative to audit firms if they became the auditors of choice for ESG audits. And they're arguing that this is uh, putting investors at risk. Mm. And it's like, can we just get them to tell us if a bank's going to fail? Like, 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 it just feels very out of touch, in it, but it really feels like the vibe of this article is their feelings are hurt because the big six are just ignoring them. This episode of The Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Accruer. 
When Jesse Rubenfeld started his tech-enabled accounting firm, FinOptimal, he had a vision to revolutionize the accounting industry and an obsession with accounting data efficiency and automation. Using automation tools he and his team developed in-house, his team was able to quickly scale the firm to serve over 100 very large clients with a very small team of accountants. And now FinOptimal is sharing one of their tools with the world, introducing Accruer, an app designed to automate accrual accounting in QuickBooks without a single spreadsheet. With Accruer, you can easily automate deferred revenue, prepaid expenses, and fixed assets in real time, streamlining your bookkeeping process. In the description field of an expense transaction in QuickBooks, enter the dates for the amortization, and Accruer will automatically book all the entries for you. The same applies for revenue transactions. Enter the dates and the revenue will be recognized automatically. Set a useful life for fixed assets and Accruer will handle the depreciation calculations automatically. Accruer saves you time, reduces errors, and provides a seamless accrual accounting experience. Plus, the experienced team of CPAs at FinOptimal are always available to offer customer support and assistance. When you're ready to stop wasting time on manual accrual accounting and would like to try Accruer risk-free for 30 days to experience the time-saving benefits firsthand, head over to accountingpodcast.promo forward slash accruer. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash A-C-C-R-U-E-R. Well, here's somebody else who's kind of... I'm glad you got this article because I couldn't get to it. So Wall Street Journal editorial board has opined on the accounting talent shortage. Their, Their headline is... The Biden accounting jobs boom. And my takeaway from this is basically that they're saying that Biden, the Biden administration, is responsible for the talent shortage that we're having. But I thought it was the, the other, because uh, I didn't get to see the article, but based on the headline in this one sentence I saw, I thought it was because of all this tax law they keep introducing that there's going to be more demand for accountants. But I yeah, guess yeah. that causes so, the shortage, right? So, the demand's up. And, yeah, yeah, so the, the argument is that the Biden administration is increasing regulation which then increases the need for accountants. And so, you know, let me just just read straining it more. Yeah, let me just read the beginning of this. For all of you recent graduates, we have two words, tax accounting. We were looking into the June jobs report, and what do you know? Tax preparation and accounting rank among the fastest growing fields in the Biden economy. Hiring and finance information in many professional services has slowed in recent months, but the accounting, tax prep, bookkeeping, and payroll job category keeps growing at a solid clip. The field has added 30,800 jobs this year, and its 2.7% growth rate since January exceeds that for professional business services and even leisure and hospitality. By the time President Biden entered office, the jobs lost at the start of the pandemic in accounting, tax, and payroll services had recovered. Since January 2021, the field has added 138,400 jobs compared to about 30,100 during the first two and a half years of the Trump administration. The Biden presidency is springtime for green eyeshades. Springtime for green eyeshades. Springtime for green wow. eyeshades. I'm just thinking of that song, Springtime for Hitler, you oh, know, yeah. from, from the producers. From the producers, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, basically, the, the, the argument here is that uh, Trump and the GOP simplified things, and Biden makes things more complicated, so that's why we need more accountants. And I find this very humorous, because... Anybody who's anybody in tax knows that the complexity has increased in both administrations, right? And plenty of stuff that, that the Trump administration did and then handed off to Biden, like, like like PPP and all that. I mean, that was all like, you know, like that was all, it crossed both. Yeah, this is politicians. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a interesting headline article. So they're blaming the, you know, American Rescue Plan Act for including new or enhanced tax credits, uh, you know, that required then more tax work. The Inflation Reduction Act added a bunch of green energy tax credits with complicated eligibility rules and bonuses. And don't forget the law's new 15% minimum tax on corporate book income. So the conclusion is all of this means more billable hours for accountants. They may have the closest thing to a recession-proof job in this current era of progressive government. So I guess accountants should be voting for Democrats, apparently, if they want to have lots of work to do, which is no, funny. I argue, I've argued this before. You, you should vote in one election, Democrats, and the next election, Republicans, so they keep changing the laws, and then you have work forever. Because like, <laughs> they'll be reversing the previous administrations and the new ones. That's the way to vote. You, you jump back and forth just to get change. 
Change is good for accountants. That's right. Change is good, right? Political stagnation is good if you don't want things to change either. So Romeo made a good point, right? In the article, we saw that the field has added 138,000 jobs. Accounting has added 138,000 jobs since 2021. Okay. We only produce 40 to 50,000 accounting grads a year. That's why this pain is happening. And a massive amount are about to retire. Like the, that cliff yeah. is here. Oh, it's already starting, right? Yeah. They're trying to get out. And that's also why it's a great time to buy a firm. If you want to buy a small firm from a practitioner in their 60s, and most are, uh, I, most small firm owners are over the age of 60 now, great time to do that if you can get the right price. And the price will continue to go down as buyers are not found. So it's a buyer's market for small firms. I mean, I, I'm seriously, I would love to just like go raise a bunch of money and buy a bunch of small firms and put in the right technology. There's people doing this now. It's a great roll-up business opportunity. And it's not even, I, I, and this is not just um, accounting. Like they're doing this, old plumbers are wanting to retire. Yep. Old, like every industry, and and they're actually, there's apparently my understanding is Stanford Business School now has classes and there's a whole community around this, like going and buying legacy businesses and modernizing them yeah. instead of doing a startup. Right. Uh, I have an article that's kind of fun and strange that could transition us into app news. Well, I mean, we don't have that much time else. left, and I've got listener mail, so why don't you do that, and then we'll do the listener mail? All right, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hammer this one out. So uh, Bench Accounting, they, uh, and now, they had an article about <laughs> this is your story? launching a breakthrough. Well, this is a quick one, and then we'll do the three quick, quick <laughs> stuff and then be done with that fast. But they said they're going to introduce 10 new product innovations and improvements this summer, so including it's one personal of- Sorry, I'm, is, okay. is, is this one of those press releases that they like didn't actually do anything yet? They're just talking about what they're going to do? Yes, exactly. Okay, I'm so tired of this stuff with AI. Like it, this, this is what we do for people. We plow through those kind of articles. But I do have three things about QuickBooks really quick we, could, we probably should cover. Okay. So do you remember a few months ago, QuickBooks, a few months, maybe uh, um, last, about eight months ago, QuickBooks launched this store and we could buy like candles and stuff and then resell them. It was like a wholesale marketplace called Trada. Yeah, I remember covering that. Well, they killed. It's killed. They pulled support. Oh no, they're gonna. It's dead. They've pulled that, so that's gone. They've simplified bank matching, but it looks like in the article. So it says QuickBooks checking simplifies bank feeds matching. And I I read this like three times, and I finally figured out it's the QuickBooks checking product that those bank feeds are getting enhancements. Okay. Where it'll, instead of just doing, like most of the bank feeds look at like the amount and the date, and then you still have to manually match a lot. Yeah. It's going to start using the bank, the check numbers from the account and other, other information. Now, where this is interesting to me is just how Intuit Payments is super convenient because it just works great. There's no more work to do in QuickBooks if you're using Intuit Payments and somebody pays you, right? It just does everything. Could a deeper integration to QuickBooks actually drive growth of QuickBooks checking, right? Like yeah. where it makes sense to use QuickBooks checking because I have a QuickBooks checking account and I don't use it. Well, Why? Is, because it, it was horrible. This is one of the benefits of Relay is that the bank feeds don't break and you get all this yeah. extra data that you normally don't get from like a B of A or a Chase. Yeah. 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 And, th- and then you still have to manufacture it because QuickBooks isn't doing it. Right. But that's another, <laughs> like it's not reading all the extra data that Relay provides them. So there's that. And then the other thing that they're doing is they are now merging. So they have a lot of front-end apps for employees, right? Or consumers even, right? Well, one of the two apps they have is they had a timesheet app, which used to be QuickBooks Time, which was T-Sheets. And then they have this app called Workforce, which is the old view my paycheck, which essentially you view your paycheck, your W-2s, et cetera. They're putting the time app in that app now. So now mm-hmm. that's one app. But is that the march into it's on? Now, that, what if they put Credit Karma in there, right? What if they put their little payment thing? Is Intuit building a super app, right? For their, for, because that's a lot. Of, that's, if they can get employees to do this, that's 12, 14, 15 million employees. They get onto an yeah. app and yeah. then- you know, TurboTax Mobile's built in, et cetera. So those are the three big QuickBooks announcements. All right. Well, I'm going to hit through my app news as well. Yep. After bootstrapping for eight years, accounting startup Doug's raises $27 million. And if you haven't heard of Doug's, that's because they are French. Uh, they raised this money from a VC firm in Britain called Expedition Growth Capital. Doug's claims to generate $16.4 million in annual recurring revenue. And they provide online chartered accountant services for small and medium-sized companies. They have 14,000 clients. And their services include 
financial statements, certified tax filings, expense reports, and payroll services. They're going to use the funding to double their team size by 2025 and expand to new countries, including Germany and the UK. So that's something to watch out for in Europe is Doug's D-O-U-G-S. And I have no idea if that's how you say it in French, but that's what it looks like. It looks like Doug's. Doesn't, I don't think you're saying it right because it probably needs to sound fancier. Yeah, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> uh, Shopify is crusading against Zoom meetings. They have internally built a cost calendar or cost calculator that appears on everyone's calendar. So when you book a meeting with three or more people, the tool uses average compensation data and meeting length and attendee count to determine the cost of the event. So a 30-minute meeting with three employees can cost between $700 and $1,600, and adding an executive can increase the cost to over $2,000. The point is to reduce unnecessary meetings, and they say that it has already eliminated recurring meetings with more than two people. They are on track to eliminate 322,000 hours and 474,000 meetings in 2023. Yeah. I, I, I've seen – I remember – a decade ago, decade plus, people building plugins like this for Outlook. I've like this every time I turn around, a company builds this as a plugin to their calendar program and thinks they're the first company that's ever done this. Like it's just it happens a lot, and it gets a lot of attention though. Like it's a good press thing though, gets you a lot of attention. But I don't necessarily any anyone I've even seen stick around very long. Like I think it's very gimmicky. People still going to have meetings. They just ignore it. It's just you just pretend it doesn't exist. My favorite thing about this is that you can, you know, like companies will allow anyone to schedule a meeting with like 10 people that recurs on a weekly basis that costs oh, yeah. an insane amount of money if you like calculate calculate it. But they can't buy like a $100 computer peripheral without going through a PO process, right? Like that's that's the inconsistency. Yes. So if you trust people to like book these kind of meetings, which waste an incredible amount of resources, let them just buy what they need or like, a plane ticket, or but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> instead of putting through this hassle. Um, so Shopify also has released some AI stuff, and they had a demo of it on uh, a Twitter video that got 1.6 million views. I thought it would be kind of cool to to show this off. It's a like a two minute video, so yeah, I hope you can hear this. So I've got something really cool to show you. I'm deeply excited about this. Started this company almost two decades ago um, because entrepreneurship is hard. Entrepreneurship is important, and it needs to be easier. And there's a million things you need to know when you're embarking on this journey, and a million things that you will have to figure out along the way that you don't even know yet. Some people are lucky enough that you have someone you can call or you can text with questions. Some people do not. But imagine how much more entrepreneurship would there be in a world if um, everyone would have someone by their side who is deeply competent, totally committed to you, available around the clock with no judgment, with no fear, n knowing everything there is about Shopify and entrepreneurship writ large. Technology has advanced so much in the last year that this is now possible. And um, we are building this directly into Shopify and we could not be more excited about it. We believe like entrepreneurs are heroes. Okay, so let's skip to the actual product stuff. Kick. So let me make this. Uh, I can't make it fuller screen. There's a little sidebar that popped out, and it says, "I'm Sidekick, your Shopify assistant. Ask me questions and get help, and blah 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 blah. What would you like help with?" So just like Windows, right? Sidebar. Clippy. <laughs> Uh, Every entrepreneur has tons of... So now the person is typing in, I had a drop-off in sales from March to now. Why? And it says the dip of sales is probably due to minimal snow. These are not summer months in many regions, so it's natural for sales to decrease. And this is a store that sells winter gear. Right? So it actually went and found that. Now they're asking, put everything on sale. All right, let me get that sale started. And the, the app has created an automatic discount of 10% on all products. You can click preview and then you can click apply and you can put everything on sale. And this is another one that's interesting. Add my new surf collection to the homepage. 
and it's going to automatically go and create a new section on the home page that has surf equipment. Remove the snowboards and make my store look like a surf shop. So it's going to retheme the website now based on what you just told it to do. Write new content for my hero banner focused on selling surfboards. Absolutely, here's some catchy copy. And it changes the website. So I've been part of a technology. I want to share this because it's just an example of the kind of the kind of like automation that we can come to expect inside of apps soon to help us do things that would have been a lot of tedious manual clicking and adding and it can at least get us 90% of the way there. And then we go and tweak. And I saw that Wix is doing this as well. So now you're going to be able to create a website from scratch just using prompts. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you're never going to, and this goes to code, right? There's a lot of stuff. You're just going to describe what you want and it's going to slowly build it. And building a website and changing the color to this or this and doing that makes a lot more sense versus like, drawing a picture of somebody and then it always puts six fingers. It's probably going to, when you ask it to put surfboards, hopefully it's going to put surfboards on your website. Yep. Um, but it's funny though, because the way he presents that though, it's like, we're all in, right? It's yeah. very passionate. Like it, it's, it's, it was a really well done video. Uh, we got some listener mail. I wanted to read real quickly before yeah. we go. So we got a comment on a YouTube video. This was episode 339. We talked about that 15 year old who passed the CPA exam. Oh, yes. Daniel said, I'm a pilot who's finishing up his master's in accounting because it's free because I'm in the military, LOL. And it's funny being in aviation, seeing the pilot shortage and the insane changes, including salary that came with the shortage. Now I'm looking at the accounting field, rubbing my hands together, seeing the same signs we witnessed in the aviation world. Here we go again. We also got an Instagram message from Chris. Chris said, love your podcast. I am a senior financial analyst with a decade of experience. I have a finance degree. I have worked some bookkeeping on the side. I would like to start a firm that specializes in just the outsourced accounting and FP&A for small business. Have you considered doing an episode discussing this for non-accounting majors? I have many concerns. Replacing my salary and clients being accepting of a non-CPA finance professional are a couple of the main concerns. Great job on the podcast. You are inspiring an audience beyond just the CPA community. Thanks, Chris. If I could suggest, Blake, yeah. that could be a good episode. We got to find somebody for your interview, but a good episode of the on the Earmark podcast. Yeah, I would love to do that, actually. Um, well, and I know one firm that is not a CPA firm that has had a lot of success doing outsourced accounting and FP&A, and that is Growth Lab Financial, led by Dan Gertrudes and Stephen Byler over in, I think they're in Maryland. And, East Coast, yeah. Yeah. And and so I would say uh, just regarding that question about whether or not you need to be a CPA to do this, if you're doing outsourced accounting and FP&A work, like managerial accounting, um, you know, advisory work, I don't think you need the CPA to get clients. You need to have good marketing to get the clients. Uh, being a CPA always helps. Credentials always help. But you can overcome the difference if you don't have you one. You want to do outsource CFO yeah. in FP&A? And you know, yeah. only a third of CFOs are CPAs these days. So I would say don't let that hold you back. I would say the CPA is definitely more valuable when it comes to tax because a lot of people associate tax with the CPA. I don't think they associate CFO with CPA as much as CPAs might think. Yeah. So Growth Lab might be in Rhode Island, says Larry Bernstein. Yeah, I think that's right, Rhode Island. What did I say? Maryland? My bad. Yeah, us West Coasters. It's just those little those states that are all teeny up in that corner over there. You know, I, I learned the geography when I was in fifth grade, and I, uh, yeah, I'm very, but you, this is accounting. We're not we're not geography majors. No. This is not you know, yeah. Some I history podcast. My apologies. I, I hope I have not offended our entire East Coast audience. It's hard to offend East Coasters though. So like. You know, just tell them what your temperature is today, and then they yeah. Won't be so uh, let's see, the high today is 114. So All right. uh, <laughs> that's why I can't think. So if Blake suffers in hell, the rest <laughs> of you can enjoy. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the time we got this week, David. If people want to find you online, where can they track you down? Well, I'm on all the socials at David Leary, but I wanted to just make sure everybody knows, especially any listeners that are in the Chicago area, mm-hmm. um, and that's broad because I think two hours away is like Milwaukee. A lot of people could get to Chicago fairly quickly. Uh, we're going to we be attending. Don't the... say anything because you don't know the geography that well, right, David? Okay, I know that. I know that that exists. 
<laughs> so we're going to be attending the Unique CPA Conference 2023. The theme here is bridging the gap, connecting generations, and prioritizing your health. All right, so you can find your success. Blake and I will both be speaking at this conference. A lot of the who's who in accounting, you know, it's going to be speaking. Some of them have been guests on our podcast before. Um, go and register. It's going to be at the Lowell Chicago O'Hare, right by the airport. So you can land at the airport, stay very close at the convention center. That I think it's it might be called the Rosemont. Don't quote me on that because I don't know where I'm going. But go and sign up. We'll have the link in the show notes, or you could just search for uh, the Unique CPA or Bridging the Gap and yep. find the link that way. Search for Unique CPA Conference and you'll find it. Uh, it's going to be great. It'll be fun. I can't wait to go to Chicago that time of year. It'll be nice. Speaking of the weather. Uh, and I, I went to school there. So I'll meet up with some friends. Great. All right, David. Thanks everyone who joined us live. You can always do so by subscribing to our YouTube channel. Do that and you'll get notified when we go live. And uh, hope to see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Time for the classifieds. Your accounting clients don't want another shiny app they have to log into. They want to be met where they live in their email inbox. FinDaily does just that. FinDaily automates the communication of key financial data by sending it to your client's inbox daily. Try FinDaily out for free at findaily.io. That's findaily.io. Sick of waiting for same-day ACH transfers that stick to bank hours or paying high fees for credit cards? Stop settling with slow payments and say hello to the future of AR with Forwardly, America's first accessible instant payment solution. With Forwardly, accountants in the USA can receive small business payments instantly, 24-7, 365 days a year, manage cash flow, and simplify accounting with automatic reconciliation. With generous partner rewards, ridiculously low fees, and no monthly charge, you can start thinking Forwardly at Forwardly.com. That's Forwardly.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.